once I quit drinking, it was like I suddenly had all this time that I wasn't spending out or hungover. Welcome back to the Career Therapy Podcast. My name is Martin McGovern, and we are joined this week by Chad Wilson, Coach Chad from Career Therapy's website. Hey, Chad, how's it going? Doing well, doing well. How about yourself? I'm doing pretty good. Excited to chat today. And we have some really interesting topics to dive into um, from the 12-step program and how that impacts the job search. But before we get into all that, Chad, tell us about yourself. I uh, am currently a learning experience design specialist with a medical malpractice insurance company here in Chicago, which ultimately means that I create online courses for doctors. Uh, before that, I went through a boot camp uh, for user experience design, which I pursued after many years in higher education administration. So while working at at uh, Columbia College Chicago, I was working uh, in the academic support office and helping um, basically students overcome academic barriers to success. And we were launching new tools in our department and I noticed how usability issues uh, hindered adoption of software. And so that got me interested in usability and user experience design. And then I merged those two in the position that I'm in now in, in learning experience design. Uh, so it was, a, it was a quite an extended job search with the pandemic of 2020 looming after my graduation from the boot camp, um, But uh, as we'll talk about later, I credit a lot of my resilience to my having gone through a 12-step program and a lot of the principles that that taught me. That's amazing. And one of the reasons that we're having this conversation in particular is because I also am sober and don't drink anymore. I'm a little over a year. I'm sure I have an app somewhere that tells me how long it's been, um, a year and a month or something. And uh, I maybe we have different you know journeys. We have different experiences. And so I'm super curious to learn more about the program that you went through and all the things that you learned. And, and we can kind of you know see where it relates. Because I do feel like Anytime, even on the smallest level, anytime you change a habit, it makes you reassess like everything in your life, right? You want to eat better. You got to look at a lot of different areas of your life. And so something as big as, as this, it definitely changes how we interact with the world. And personally, it has very much changed how I interact with my career. Um, just knowing that I've come from the advertising world, which is quite liquid to the education world, which is not, not quite as liquid. <laughs> yeah, it certainly does have a big impact on, on lots of different um, aspects of your life, for sure. And congratulations on a year. That's and great. congratulations on seven for you. Uh, I will get there someday. And so when, when did you start thinking about this idea of the relationship between the programs that you went through and the skills that you've been applying to your career development? You know, one of the steps the, towards the end of the 12 steps is to practice these principles in all of our affairs. And so even while early in the program, when I first started my recovery journey, I started to hear this idea that, you know, once I go through the 12 steps and I start sponsoring other people and I start helping other people overcome their own substance abuse issues, the idea is that you you carry that on through into other areas of your life. So all of the lessons that I learned, I knew would be applicable 
Um, and a lot of what we talk about in the rooms of 12-step recovery, talk about learning to live life on life's terms. Many of us were, um, you know, felt different or felt isolated or felt disconnected from our lives. And we used substances to cope with that. And so this idea of living life on life's terms resonated with me because it was about learning how to manage stress, manage anxiety, um, because life is never going to always be, you know, always happy and always um, uh, positive. So we have to learn to live with what life throws us and be able to walk through all of the areas of our life, whether it's work, relationships, family, with stride. And I think that that's, that's where I really started to think about how these principles or how the things that I would learn within the rooms would apply elsewhere. It was always in the back of my mind, um, no matter what step I was working on or where I was in my sobriety. It's really fascinating because there's there's something when I was uh, giving up drinking, I have a friend that I talk to all the time and uh, he's has struggled with like trying to give up nicotine and, and he's got his own own things that he works on. And one of the things that we talked about early on is like, and I don't know if this is like a PC term or anything, but um, the concept of a uh, dry drunk, someone who mm-hmm. has stopped the behavior of drinking, but hasn't actually done the work to fix the reasons that they drink. Um, and you know, I, I'm, I'm not maybe as well versed as you are in, in a lot of these terms. And so I'm kind of curious, like, what have you seen around that concept? Cause I feel like it, it to oddly tie it to the job search, it's like someone who networks because they're told to network, but doesn't actually do the things that you're supposed to do while networking, like be authentic <laughs> and like, that's, that, that's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, that parallel makes so much sense to me it's it's sort of going through the motions right it's it's doing the thing because you know it's the right thing to do but not really having the mindset that is that is sort of the motivating factor for you to do that um, or practice that behavior I always say that when people are trying to remove a substance from their life because it's something that you've leaned on to essentially fix a lot of your problems, you have to replace it with something else. And so for many people in 12-step recovery, what that's replaced with is a sense of spirituality. And, um, you know, there's there's lots of things that that could look like. Um, it could look like, you know, a Christian religion. It could look like something completely different than that. Um, but, but you ultimately do have to replace that substance with something positive, positive behaviors, a positive... Um, central grounding philosophy. Um, I know you've leaned a lot into stoicism. Um, I know a lot of people who have leaned into Buddhism or uh, meditation. So there's lots of different ways that you can sort of replace that substance so that you don't become that quote unquote dry drunk because it is, I think what that turns into is just sort of going through the motions without having the mentality that's going to actually sustain you. Um, or change the way that you perceive your life. And this idea of change, I think is really tough for folks. Um, I mean, change in general is tough, even just changing apartments or, or changing, you know, the way that you get up the time you get up in the morning, like like that's a pretty tough change for most people. Um, And this idea of 
actually changing the way in which we look at the world has been a really interesting struggle for me over the years. You know, coming from a place where I was like, I don't know, like I was in marketing. I was all about like, how do you manipulate the world? How do you sort of sell things? It's all materialistic. But like, even while I was in that, I had this small interest in philosophy that I'd never really had an opportunity to pursue. And it's interesting how over time, well, let, let me make it even simpler. I feel like when I started drinking, I really didn't like it. And I got brainwashed into believing that it was necessary to solve so many different things over the years, right? It's like a little thing here and a little thing there and a little thing there. Oh, you need it for this social interaction. Oh, you need it to cope with that emotion. And I slowly feel like I got brainwashed by the marketing and, and I'm easily susceptible to marketing. So I, I know this about myself, but um, I had to, it took many years uh, and a couple attempts to unbrainwash myself or, or maybe the better way to phrase it is to brainwash myself into a different kind of thinking. <laughs> and yeah. it was active. Like I literally would say to people back when I was like 26, 27, oh no, I'm brainwashing myself with positivity right now because I'm such a negative person. And so I'm kind of curious what your thoughts are on that kind of the manipulation of our brains both into something and then out of something. It really is a rewiring. It, it requires us to think differently. There's, there's a phrase in the program that uh, you can't, think yourself into better acting, you have to act yourself into better thinking. And um, that's, that's on my list of, of, of things and we'll get there. But it's this idea that you really are rewiring your brain because your brain, uh, you've, you've trained it over time, right? Or I trained my brain over time to, to reach for a substance to fix whatever it was, whether I was happy or sad or literally whatever. You have to find other things to reach for in those situations. And so you're, you're acting on those synapses as they fire in different ways so that they can actually be rewired to, to fire differently. Um, but in this idea of change, you know, one of the, the first thing on my list of, you know, these, these, ways in which recovery has impacted my life is if nothing changes, nothing changes. And so it's, it's understood when you go into recovery that you're going to have to change some things, um, whether it's people you hang out with or your circumstances or your, um, your living situation. There, there are certain things that you have to do differently because the things that I had been doing had not, had no longer been working for me. So I had to try something different. I had to be willing and have the courage to do something that someone else suggested for me to do, someone with more wisdom and experience in the situation that I was facing. I had to be willing to do something different. And that takes a lot of courage to make changes like that. And so um, eventually, everything changes. Uh, and so learning to face those changes with courage and um, not see them as, I, I think I saw a lot of those changes and changes in general as um, sort of 
a threat to who I am as an individual. You know, if I changed this about myself, who would I be? Um, and I, I was lucky to have a support network that, that said, well, you can still be you. You'll just be a you that doesn't drink. Yeah. yeah, that identity piece is rough when you're going through it, especially when people start questioning you. It's like, well, you didn't used to act like that. You didn't used to do those things. I was like, yeah, and I used to be really unhappy. Like, um, I, like one of the biggest differences that I've seen since quitting drinking is... Um, the the ease of consistency. Um, prior to quitting drinking, I was like, some mornings I'll wake up early, some mornings I'll wake up late, some nights I'll stay up late, some nights, some weekends I'll go out, some weekends I won't. Like I just, you know, people are like, I'm a morning person or I'm a night person. I was always like, it really depends. And even something as simple as like, just removing that one thing that made me just tired enough to not commit to a thing. Like I the live streams that we met through, like, I don't know if I would have ever committed to doing a daily live stream for what, 10 months now, like without the confidence of knowing that future me won't be hung over for one of these. Like there won't be a day where right. I went to a happy hour and the next morning, like there'll be days where I'm tired because I have insomnia. So that's just going to happen, but there won't be a day where I oversleep because I've made yeah. some poor decisions the night before. And I want to break down your list here because I think it would be really fun to kind of go through it piece by piece and maybe share something. We could both share something of like a time that we actually saw this either in our personal life or in our work life um, and maybe pull in some stories and examples here because I do think that what you have listed out these nine pieces um, are really fascinating. So which one do you want to kick off with? Yeah, so I think we already sort of covered the if nothing changes, nothing changes. Um, so, you know, I think I think we've we've unless you have something else to add to that one. Well, I think probably the main thing to add to that one, I like what you said about listening to other people for advice. I turned to stoicism. I turned to you know Tim Ferriss even back in the day, and even he's like, you can still have a glass of wine with keto, but like. I, you know, you hear those things, and you're like, well, maybe I can get away with it. Um, but there's, there's, I think getting out of your own way in a lot of yeah. ways, like with the change and just being like, look, I'm going to commit to this thing and let's see, uh, versus like, oh no, can I commit? Should I commit? Will I commit? Will I, will I falter down the road? And I'm learning that with like working out right now. It's like not every workout's great, but the fact that I'm even doing it when years ago, I never did. That's a huge change. So I, oh, and that brings us to part, part two, progress, yeah. not perfection. So yeah. what, what have been your experiences with um, perfectionism throughout your life? Yeah, yeah. Uh, real quick, before we move on to number two, though, you mentioned identity. And I think this idea of changing um, and for us, our, our drinking was a big part of our identity. I think a lot of people, their job is a big part of their identity too. And so I think because of that, people are scared to change jobs or change fields or change industries because it is such a large part of my identity. If I'm not this job, who am I? And so I think that's why you and I talk a lot about sort of figuring out ways to find your voice elsewhere or find other hobbies and interests and merging that with how you're approaching your career goals. Um, so that piece I just wanted to touch on, but 
I love that. I love that, especially <laughs> because like probably the, the thing that stands out to me most in that piece right there is when you go through a change in identity as big as this, as, as giving up, you know, so as going through sobriety in my mind, um, you know, I'm German Irish. So our whole joke was we make the beer, we drink the beer. That's like, <laughs> that was our phrase. And, and I think that there's this, once I went through the process of removing alcohol and, and not drinking and everything like that, and I saw that I'm still myself, like I'll still be the one that dances at the wedding. I'll still be the one that like is the one cracking weird jokes. Like once I realized that I survived through the surface layer identities, the um, kind of sheen identities or, or facades, uh, then I started going, oh my gosh. And, and I think one of the things early on was shedding my career identity. I, I think if I had never done that multiple times, I don't know if I would have had the knowledge or the confidence to let go of the drinking identity. Because at one point I identified as like a marketer, advertiser through and through. I wore a vest. I had like a whole thing. And I had to shed, like literally shed, to like stop wearing that clothes in order to be like, you're definitely more than just that. And because I've made career changes, it taught me that I could make personal changes. And now that I've made a personal change, it's taught me that I can make even bigger career changes. And I think that back and forth between the two is fascinating. Yeah, they build on each other. It snowballs into that, you know, you sort of reach one milestone and then you know you can get to another one. Uh, and, but shedding that, that sheen that you have, that image that you portray definitely gets us to number two, progress, not perfection. I think for me, I had to learn to be okay with being vulnerable and being messy, like, because working through, whether it's trauma that you're working through, whether it's substance abuse, whether it's um, recovery from other, um, you know, incidents or circumstances that happen in your life, all of that work none of it looks perfect. None of it feels like it's laid out for you in a step-by-step process that makes sense at first. And so you have to be okay with missteps. You have to be okay with failing. You have to look at failure as opportunities to learn. You have to approach it with, you know, once I started going through my UX bootcamp and I started learning about, you know, the design thinking process, I was like, oh yeah, this, like this totally makes sense to me because it's all about testing and iterating and like trying things out. And um, that's what I did a lot in early recovery is like you said, I, I wanted to try out whether I would be that person that was still dancing on the dance floor. I wanted to try out whether I would still, you know, be able to go to the same places sober as I did when I was drinking? Um, would my relationships look different? So you have to, you know, creating boundaries for yourself in relationships and communicating honestly. And all of these new tools that I got, I had to try out in lots of different places um, and in lots of different relationships. And it was never perfect. You know, being able to suddenly communicate boundaries to my partners um, came out sideways right like oh, it, yeah. it did it didn't look 
like it did or like it should, you know? Um, and so learning how to do that in a healthy way just takes time, but, but it does teach you resilience. It teaches you how to really walk through those things. And then once, like you said, once you walk through it once, you can walk through it again in a different circumstance or a different situation. Yeah. And one of my favorite parts about it is once you've given up the external thing that you think was either helping or hindering, you then start to realize that, wait a second, it actually isn't that thing that was hurting or helping. It's um, when I started realizing that I, I was like, oh, well, I'm not consistent because, you know, I, I have an inconsistent schedule and I have a blah, 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 or I, I, you know, it's probably because I had too many drinks last night, or it's probably because I had like, if I just gave up drinking, everything would be perfect in my life. And I'd, you know, never be tired. And then I, you know, you have that initial spike of energy and then it levels out and you're like, oh no, wait, it's me. I gotta, <laughs> I gotta like, I gotta actually build a yeah. schedule. Oh, it isn't, it's anxiety, not even alcohol. It's anxiety that I'm dealing with here. Um, or on the positive side, I was like, well, people really enjoyed hanging out with me because I was this happy go lucky dude. And then I was like, oh, I know they actually enjoy hanging out with me because they just enjoy the conversation or whatever the yeah. other thing might be. And I actually had to do a check in with friends and be like, what is our new friendship now that we don't have like these staples anymore? And that was a, a really interesting conversation to have because it helped us even clarify what we valued about each other to a higher degree. So that perfection piece and focusing on the process, I think is so fascinating because it's just like that process is constant, that there is never a point in our career, in our life, in our development that we're just like, and I'm there and I'm done. Okay. Yeah. And it's, we just keep on moving forward. We never arrive. And you know, what's interesting is I've been, you know, this has been a, a time of political turmoil in our country. And um, I am very passionate about sort of like racial justice and I have to like, like this progress, not perfection um, piece has also helped me to, to know that like, I, as a person am constantly improving on, you know, my awareness, my ability to um, confront injustice when I see it, my ability to engage politically, my ability to, um, you know, and, and professionally at work, my ability to exhibit leadership skills or my ability to work well in a team. All of that is a perpetual process that I'm always continually learning about. Yeah, I like, I like how it sort of plays into, because a lot of times people will get into like a political fight over drinks, right? And then the next day they'll be like, oh, I was just, it's like, no, no. Sometimes you actually have these opinions and you have these thoughts yeah. and it's good to uh, own them too. I think it helps yeah. clarify where you actually stand on things. I've definitely learned a lot um, over the years from that as well. Uh, where, where does that bring us in the next point here? So number three, what you think of me is none of my business. Uh, which is a phrase oft repeated in the rooms of recovery. And it's helped me, particularly in my job search, in understanding that other people's reactions are not my responsibility. I don't have to worry about recruiters ghosting on me. I don't have to worry about a rejection from a job because that is all outside of my control. I, as long as I'm living my truth, I'm putting myself out there, I'm communicating my skills properly and effectively, other people are gonna make the decisions 
that they need to make that are right for them. And that is, that is irrelevant to anything that I'm bringing to that conversation. And so I don't, it's just helped me so much to know that, that I only have to worry about what I can control. Yeah. And so much more of life feels like it's controllable as well. Um, I remember, you know, even when it wasn't like causing any quote unquote issues, right? Like even when it was just the, the basic social drinking that pretty much anyone is engaged in, I would recall like coming home being like, I should work on that thing. But then you have a glass of wine with dinner and then you're like, eh, I'm not going to really work on that thing. And like that slight procrastination or excuse even of like, well, I can't do that because I've already started this other activity, I think is really interesting. And, and I think when it comes to other people's reactions are not our responsibility, but our actions very much are. And yeah. when I think about it from that perspective, learning how to say no nicely, yeah. learning how to be in relationships with people in an honest and authentic way and, and vulnerable way, like seeking out therapy, seeking out help, seeking out these other tools like stoicism, um, those have been, it, it almost has set me off on this search. And maybe I was on this search before, maybe it all kind of, t- you know, wove itself together, but this constant search for more tools, more tools that help me maintain focus on what is in my control so that I'm not always reacting to the things outside of it. I think that's really interesting. And I I love that perspective because I've always been someone who, and maybe this is just because I'm self-centered, but I always loved like personality assessments and things like that, that told me more about myself. So I, it, it does feel like I've always been on a quest to fully understand myself. Right. And so there are definitely tools here that allow me to do that a little more. And so you're right. The ability to communicate a boundary, whether that's in a relationship or at work, um, you know, being able to say no to additional work unless, hey, you know, I'm putting in more hours, I should get paid more. Knowing what you're worth and being able to ask for that. Like, like a lot of those kinds of things, that confidence to be able to say, here's what I'm worth and state that came from the other side of this idea for sure. Yeah. And even what you just said there of like, you, you said, well, maybe it's because I'm self-centered. Like the level of confidence with which you said that and the awareness that comes with it. I'm, I'm curious to go deeper into that. Like the, <laughs> the way you speak about yourself. I think most people, they would shy that or they would kick a foot or, well, you know, any of those things. And I'm kind of curious, like, when did you start being able to kind of, you know, what others think of us is not our responsibility, but what we think of ourselves is. So how did you develop that sense of self or that view of yourself? I know it's constantly in development, but like, where did, what was that journey like? I think that's a great segue into our next list item. Number four is um, this idea of staying right-sized you know, the program teaches humility and that's like a huge talking point. It's a huge principle that we talk about, but a lot of people get wrong. A lot of people really misunderstand what humility is. Um, I think a lot of people conflate humility with humiliation or deprecation. Um, And for me, I've just, I've been able to understand it in a different way. Humility isn't about 
thinking less of ourselves. It's about thinking of ourselves less. And so I like that. Wait, can you say that one more time? Because I really like that. The humility isn't about thinking less of ourselves. It's about thinking about ourselves less. And so what that means is I spend less time thinking about what's in my head and I try to get out of my head and I help other people and I ask other people what's going on with them and I help other people. I try to serve the people around me, whether it's coworkers or the people that I'm in relationship with. One of the first things that I remember having a conversation about in early sobriety because I was having trouble at work being a good employee because I thought I knew better than my boss. And, and, you know, going to work and being so frustrated that I wasn't being heard, that I wasn't being listened to, that my suggestions weren't being valued. And my sponsor at the time said, you know, you have to go to work and just be a worker among workers. You have to just be one of the team. You have to just, you know, lend a helping hand when asked, but don't give unsolicited advice. Um, you know, and, and it's those kinds of things that taught me like what true humility is. And it's, it's, it's not about minimizing my skills. It's not about minimizing my faults. It's about having this right sized idea of exactly who I am and what I contribute. And that's the good and the bad because they're both sides of the same coin right? My strengths are also my greatest weaknesses. And my things that get into my way are also the things that in the right situation are an amazing help to a team. So I have to understand where my situations, like what the situations and circumstances are that I am contributing positively to the people around me. That to me is what humility is about. That's fascinating. I think it's really making me take an inner look at myself in, in, in that same way. And I'm uh, some, I'm going to want to chew on after our call, definitely <laughs> to figure out, like, I especially like what you said there about two sides of the same coin, where I know for sure that like my love of ideas and coming up with tons of different ideas and launching, buying every URL that comes to mind and all these different things, like while that can be very beneficial in a brainstorming session in in like creating new things and launching and being creative and, and artistic and all sorts of cool stuff, it can be an absolute detriment in trying to simplify and scale and, and things that like you and I have even talked about. And so, yeah, it is very fascinating to see like, you know, a lot of the things that we pride, a lot of the things that are our identity or we've made our identity um, aren't as shiny as we think they are uh, and probably have more blemishes. And I think that idea of looking at the blemish and like not trying to fix it, just trying to like see it and own it and be okay with it. I know like for <laughs> one of the things, uh, I just did a values assessment recently. And one of the things that was at the top was humor and acceptance. Those are the two like top values, humor and acceptance for me. And so it's funny to look back through my life and be like, oh, the times where I've been most angry with people is when they weren't allowing me to be humorous and I wasn't feeling accepted for not being humorous and like really being able to see like, okay, well, my humor can be really great, but also it can really turn on me in in some ways where if I'm not allowed to be 
you know, myself and I don't feel accepted, like there's a part that really can feel hurt. It can really feel like almost lashing out or running away or whatever the thing that might happen. And so I love that idea of humility and being able to sort of stop analyzing ourselves so much because obviously I'm also a personality test nerd, but uh, maybe put the test aside and just say, what does this person need? What does this company need? What does this situation call for? And I think that's probably the best tie into the job search that we're going to get in this list, which is it's not about you job seekers. It's about the problems that the company has that need to be solved with the skill set that they will happily pay for. And that shift from a me first, I want a job, I want benefits, I want a mentor, I want a learning stipend to a, what is it that this company needs and why are they going to pay this much money to, for that service um, really shifts things around in, in how I've looked at my career and how I just see people, I don't know, I feel like once people understand that, they calm down a little bit. I don't know, have you seen that in the folks you've worked with? Uh, I think so. I think, I think the stress level when you, ha- when you feel like you have to be all things to all people in order to get the job that you want, that, that is a really stressful place to live. But when you're able to really solidify, here is who I am as a, as a person, as an employee, as a leader, as a contributor to your company, and here's what I can bring and how I can offer you value and you communicate that, it becomes less about trying to find the company willing to risk hiring you. And it becomes more about you having a conversation with a company about whether or not it's the right fit for both of you. And, and again, that, that is humility because the other thing that, that lends itself to is this idea that we talk about in the program where once you, there, there's, there's a part in the program where you do an entire inventory and you start to take responsibility for a lot of the wrongs that you've enacted to other people and you, you make amends for those wrongs. That allows you to then hold your head up high as you're walking down the street. And if you come across someone you know your side that, that you have wronged in the past. You know your side of the street's clean, so to speak. And you don't have to hold your head in shame and you don't have to um, necessarily like feel bad about your past because you've, you've essentially, you know, enacted restitution for that. So I think that's the same sort of mentality where I, a lot of job seekers go to interviews with their heads down and saying, oh, please hire me. I'm just, I'm begging you for a job and please see something in me that I don't see in myself. And, and it feels sort of very, um, I, I don't know. It feels, it feels like, like we're asking something that's, that, that we're only, you know, allowed to take if given to us, as opposed to going in, holding our heads up high and, and saying like, this is what I offer and this is who I am. Um, and so, yeah, that, that, that idea of, of it's humility isn't about making less of who we are. It's about knowing who we are and, and being able to own that. Yeah. It's, it almost feels like people are apologizing for something they haven't done yet. Um, it's like, don't apologize just for being in the room. You were called to that room for a reason. So, uh, lean into it. Um, that brings us to, oh, go ahead. 
yeah, I was just going to say, it brings us right to, uh, I'm going to go out of order here, but the next one is yeah. act as if, sort of this idea of confidence, right? So one of the first things that I heard in my 12-step program is we're going to love you until you love yourself. Um, and, and so, you know, that was a big problem for me is I, I, I didn't have an idea of what loving me looked like before I got sober. Um, there was a lot of shame. There was a lot of deprecation. There was a lot of, you know, feeling less than. Um, and so with a support network around me, I was able to really see, like you were saying, what my friends and what other people saw in me, what they valued in me and what I brought to relationships, what I brought to a team, what I brought to a working environment. And so I translate into the job search environment, I translate that into find your support network, find cheerleaders and champions and people who know what you bring to a team, people who really can say, yes, I've worked with this person and they're great at this and they have a strength in that and they are skilled in this because those are the people who are going to help you learn to love yourself. That's awesome. And when it comes to like loving yourself, I actually had this conversation with someone the other day, oddly, uh, you know, I think sometimes we even put a really high bar on what loving yourself means. This person was like, uh, you know, they heard a quote, it's like, you can't really truly love someone until you love yourself. And they're like, what the hell? Like, does that mean all the love that I have for other people doesn't mean anything? Like, at what point have I truly loved myself? Like, what does that even look like? What does that even mean? And what we kind of came to in that conversation was this idea of just holding yourself at least to the same standards that you hold other people to. Um, because what I tend to see is like, in my own life and in, in folks who who struggle is, is this idea that like, well, it's okay that that person had a bad interview. It's okay that that person had an argument. It's okay that that person had, you know, broke down and cried, but I could never do that because that's not something I'm allowed to do. And I think in my mind, that loving yourself piece is like, if you're going to give someone else some grace, if you're going to say, it's totally fine that my, you know, boot camp fr friend didn't get the job, but then if you don't get the job, you like beat yourself up for two months that's not treating ourselves in the same way. And so that's kind of how I interpret it. What are your thoughts on yeah. that? Yeah, I love that. Like it, it, it is this idea that the kind of support and care and compassion and generosity that you and empathy that you are going to show other people that you care about, it's turning that back on yourself and trying to figure out, okay, how can I treat myself with that same compassion, that same care that same energy. Um, and, and again, that's, that's the beauty of a support network. Yeah. And I've heard it said as like, treat yourself as though it was your friend you were talking to. And, you yeah. know, if you have a support network around you, you can actually ask like, what, what, what do you think yeah. I would say to myself in this situation? Um, or say to you the next one here, and we're jumping, we're just going to keep going to the next one. But this was one that I've seen show up in so many different places and I resisted for many years. But when I actually finally did start making my bed, it had a cascading effect. And it was actually before I quit drinking, this all started happening. But uh, I'm curious, this routine piece for you, how has it shown up? Yeah, so it goes back to this idea of rewiring that we were talking about earlier. So make your bed every day, like get up, the first thing that you have done is something 
you've accomplished a goal. The first thing that you've done that day is you've already set out, you've already accomplished something that you set out to do. So you're starting your day with success. Plain and simple, it's a small, tiny way that we can create consistency and routine in our lives. In early recovery, we're told to go to a meeting every day, which sounds extremely daunting. And then if you get a sponsor, you're calling that sponsor every day. So now I've got to go to a meeting. Now I've got to, you know, make my bed. Now I've got to call somebody. The things are piling up, but but one small change, like making your bed every day, makes it possible to add something else. So then I was going to a meeting every day. So then it was possible to add something else. And it was really interesting because I was like, how am I going to fit all this in? And looking back, it's so incredible how much I was able to fit into my life and how full my life was. And I intentionally don't say the word busy because I wasn't busy. My life was full. Like I had told myself that I was going to be too busy to go to a meeting every day. But suddenly going to a meeting every day just became part of my life. And so everything else just became scheduled around that. And my life became really full. And that became a consistent routine part of my life that was important to me that I prioritized. And so it's similar to you doing your live stream. If you commit to something and you say, I'm going to do it for 90 days and you commit and you make it through that 90 days, that is an accomplishment that you can look back on and say, I did that. And if I did that for 90 days, I can keep doing that. And so that's why we celebrate milestones in recovery. You know, we have commemorative chips or keychains that we give out for different lengths of sobriety. Yeah. And I'm just pulling up mine here. Oh, nice. Pulling up mine here because it's, uh, well, can't see it, but yeah. And so, um, I never, I only went to one meeting out of, you know, full disclosure here. Um, I went to one and, but what was interesting from it is that the person I met continued to check in with me and I, my route was using an app. I don't know why that's what the decision was I made at the time, but the app, I did check in every day and the app has a journaling feature. It's just, it's called, um, I am sober. Well, yeah, pretty straightforward. Uh, but, <laughs> um, it was one of those things where every day I would check in. I still every day check in on the app and you check in in the morning to set the intention. And you check in at night to close the intention and they say journal and all these things. And for a good long while I did every day. And I also have a different journaling practice. Um, and I think what's so fascinating to your point here about routine is just how quickly you find time. Like I'm blown away at how much time there is on the weekends um, <laughs> in the past year. And um, within, so I, I quit drinking in September of last year and I started the live stream in January. So September, October, November, December. So j- I had four months of proving to myself I could stick to a thing every day. And what I find also really interesting about going to meetings or checking in on an app is that I find a lot of folks think of sobriety or giving up something as a lot easier than adding something. Um, So, oh, you go to the gym every day. That's a real accomplishment. Oh, you gave up drinking. So you just avoided a thing. That's not so much an accomplishment. And I find that, that to be so interesting because I find giving up things way harder but then once I've given them up, adding things way easier. 
And so yeah. I've been able to add so much more to my life by giving up one thing, but giving up that one thing took a decade to get there. And so that is such a fascinating thing for me. It's like once you remove, and I, I like to think of them as like cornerstone good habits or cornerstone bad habits. It's like this cornerstone bad habit made every other habit that I wanted to have in my life that much harder. Meditation, working out, eating right. Everything was more difficult because of this cornerstone bad habit. Mm -hmm. But then you add a cornerstone good habit, which is like waking up at a certain time every day. And suddenly you're like, or going to a meeting every day. Suddenly you're like, whoa, all of a sudden the just hallways opened up and there's no people running around getting in my way. And I find that to be really fascinating from a routine standpoint. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's it's almost like you you just sort of make the, t the time, you, you readjust the time and reallocate it in a different way because the time is all always there. It's just, you know, how you're choosing to spend it. And like you said, once I quit, drinking it was like I suddenly had all this time that I wasn't spending out or hungover or you know I, I had more time in my schedule um, and being able to choose good habits and make good habits and maintain good habits was absolutely you know to put it in terms of professional life you know I think it allowed me to make sure that I, I was never a punctual person at work. And so being able to try to be more consistent about getting to work on time, being more consistent about the small tasks at work that I didn't really care about doing, but were still part of my tasks. You know, I, I had to make sure that I showed up and was present for those just as much as other things that I enjoyed doing. So it made me a better employee. It made me a better team player at work. Um, being able to set these small goals for myself. Yeah. And there's an interesting thing that happens when we do start setting priorities like that. Um, because opening up that room in your life, like you said, you have to replace it with something, which makes you have to sit down with your priorities and say, well, what are my priorities? And what I find so interesting is like, even beyond the hangovers and like the time spent, you know, going out or something like that. Um, there's a lot of things that we don't allow into our priorities because we're worried that we might not be able to keep up with them if, if we have these other habits. And so what I found is like the time that came back was time that I already had, but I just, I was like, well, I can't fit a work in, in there because three weeks from now I've got a bachelor party I'm going to. And you know, that's my excuse for never even getting the habit started. And, and I find that that refocus of priorities and even just saying like health is a priority. It's so big, but then it just trickles down into all these different areas. And then when there's an extra half hour in a day, maybe you go for a walk instead of watching TV or whatever the thing might be. And, and these all kind of play together over time. And same with the job search. It's like when you're networking because you've been told to versus because you actually value making professional connections. Well, you're only going to network in the time that you schedule networking and you'll never get the full benefits versus, well, anytime I have a moment, I'm going to send that. Thank you. I'm going to 
share that link. I'm going to like that post. It's almost like the littlest possible things make the biggest differences. But when we're so consumed with something else, we forget about all those tiny things that you're mentioning in your job. Like the doing the little things in your job right matter way more than doing the one presentation super well. We can almost lose sight of that if we're blinded by or foggy or whatever the phrase might be by all these other pieces. Yeah. That's why the make your bed is, I mean, it's such a simple task. It's not, it's not a huge task that we're being asked to do every day. It's, it's something small. And if you can't take time to do the small things, um, and that's why you and I, when we talk about how to schedule time during a job search, you know, spend 20 minutes on LinkedIn messaging people. It doesn't have to be a, a large chunk of time. You know, it's like just taking time, making time for those small things um, that matter. And that brings us to the gratitude piece. So I find gratitude to be, it's, it's a tough one. I've done the journals, I've done a whole bunch of things, right? But we can get so wrapped up sometimes. And so how have you seen gratitude change in your life? So something that a lot of people in recovery do is they keep a gratitude journal and, and so they're asked to maybe write down the three or five things that they're grateful for every day. I didn't do that consistently, but um, gratitude is something that I have come to learn is not something that you do after you have something to be grateful for, which is what I was taught. You know, I was, I was actually pretty um, active in uh, church when I was in like middle school. And I remember that you know, that experience with gratitude being look at, look at these folks who don't have as much as you have, and therefore you should be grateful. The way that I understood gratitude, understand gratitude today is that it is an action that when practiced helps me find humility. So when I am displeased or anxious or stressed or discontent with something in my life. There's something that I want and I don't have it. Practicing gratitude can remind me that that is coming from a place of self-centeredness because it's reminding me of the things that I already have that I'm taking for granted. And so it allows me to get back to that idea of humility and stay right-sized and say, you know what? I have goals and I'm, I'm working towards goals, but asking for all of that to happen right now or wanting this that somebody else has or comparing myself to some, uh, someone else and what they have, all that is is destructive. And it sends me into a spiral of shame and comparison. And, you know, I, I'm back in that place where I don't feel confident and I'm, I'm asking something of someone um, rather than seeing the worth in myself, right? So that's where gratitude comes into play for me, is it's simply a reminder that I'm, I'm okay, that I'm okay how I am and where I am today. Um, and if I practice gratitude as an action consistently, then I'm less likely to go off into those places where I'm feeling anxious or I'm comparing what I have to what someone else has, 
right? I don't feel the need to do that if I'm practicing gratitude consistently. Yeah, you're also less likely to commit to something that you shouldn't commit to. I think a lot yeah. of times, especially with like money and comparisons, the biggest thing that I've seen change with folks with COVID is all these people that hated their jobs, but were doing nothing about it. Suddenly, because they haven't been laid off and so many people they know have been, are like, you know, I hated this job, but I'm damn happy I have it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, I think that's absolutely on point with what you're saying here. It's like, I like that it's not so much about being grateful for getting things, but being more mindful about what you already have. And I was watching this video series earlier today called like Simple Living, because every once in a while I watch like hyper minimalist people who like don't even have microwaves and don't even have like running water like how the hell do you live like that just to keep myself in check because like it is possible to live with a lot less than what we have not encouraging you know i mean obviously if if you're in really tough dire straits and, and you need help like that's a totally different story but most people who are listening to this podcast have the luxuries that they need but are still discontent so i really appreciate how you laid that one out and then do we want to jump back real quick? Yeah, this is this is kind of like a less, you know, spiritual principle and much more grounded, practical. You know, uh, most of the twelve-step meetings that I went to had some sort of a timer. Usually, someone would share at the beginning, and then everyone else would have two minutes to share. And a lot of times, that timer was set at two minutes because after two minutes, nobody's paying attention. And I, this is so relevant to the job search in terms of interviews, like rambling answers to interviews or, you know, the tell me about yourself. And then I go and list everything on my resume. Nobody's, nobody's listening to that. Mm -hmm. So uh, a lesson that I actually feel like is just a real practical thing that I got from going to so many meetings after so many years is I got really concise about what I was going to say, and I was able to say it in two minutes. So my takeaway there is rehearse. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. And yeah. looking at YouTube stats, I can say two minutes is about as much as people yeah. watch. Yeah. Uh, that's great. And then we're, we got to number nine. We're here at number nine. I'd love for you to uh, talk about, you know, as we introduce this one, but talk about some of the miracles you've already experienced. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so, so the number nine is don't quit before the miracle happens. And so, you know, we talk about that in recovery is we, you just, persistence is really, really important. So um, I, I did not have a perfect sobriety journey. There were missteps, there were relapses. Um, you know, I did celebrate seven years sober, clean and sober on September 3rd. Um, so, but, but I didn't quit. And I think that that's really important. Um, so resilience and persistence is really key. Um, and, and so my, my, ability to have missteps, learn something from it, and then get right back in to the saddle and try again. That was really key to my eventually staying sober. Um, we will all 
we will all face failures. We will all face um, adversity and challenges, um, whether that's in our job searches, in our personal lives, um, in our careers, and our professional uh, goals. Um, but the more we can develop resilience and be persistent in getting up every time we fall, um, that's when you see results because the results aren't the results don't come overnight. They they don't, and and that's that's so true in recovery. Um, it takes time to rebuild relationships. It takes time to rewire our brains. It takes time to figure out who we are without that substance. Um, just like it takes time to transition to a new field. It takes time to land that right fit job. Um, but you can't give up. You can't give up before you see it through. And, and there have been lots of miracles in my life. I, you know, I think, I think the ability for me to, to know that I was unhappy in my job, to take a risk and talk with my friends and my family and my partner about leaving my job, pursuing additional education and making a transition to a completely unknown new field. It took courage, it took resilience, it took all of these things that we've talked about, humility and confidence. Um, but I wouldn't have had any of that without these principles that I've learned and have talked about today. Um, and it's a miracle that I saw that through and in the pandemic of 2020 landed a job that I enjoy and not only a full-time job that I enjoy but working with you and being able to serve as a career coach and help other people through those challenging times and those changes in their lives like that to me is you know when I have a, I have a home that I love I got married recently I you know there, there's there's just so many things in my life that I feel like would not have happened um, had I not maintained a consistent, you know, uh, recovery program, you know, and, and I don't want this to be a commercial for 12 step programs at all. I think that people um, who are struggling with substance abuse, a 12 step program is a great, a great resource. And it obviously worked for me. But as you have said, you know, other things worked for you. And I, I don't think that there's just one size fits all remedy for those who struggle with substance abuse. And, and, and I think that any way that you can find ways to practice these things and find your own support network, whatever that looks like for you, um, you know, I think, I think everyone is served by just thinking about it in terms of these like principles that they can, they can flex like muscles. Absolutely. And if the people that we talk to on a daily basis are any indication if it's not alcohol, it's something else. It's, you know, avoidance, uh, anger, anxiety, depression, fatigue, lack of motivation, t you know, television, food. It, it, it's, there's always things that we can look at and say, is this benefiting me? What can I do better? And if we have that growth mindset, we can keep moving forward. And so I really appreciate you putting together this list and sharing your thoughts on it. Um, because it is something that I'm not as well versed in. And it's something that, you know, all of it tracks and, and regardless of where folks are at in what they're trying to do, even just trying to be a more outgoing networker, like 
you're going to have to go through this entire list in order to become someone who can network. And I'm someone who used to have panic attacks networking. So I know for sure something like progress, not perfection. When I bombed, like hardcore bombed, like was asked to like, oh, I, I'm going to get back to work 10 minutes into a conversation was like left out in the cold. Like there are some serious transition points that we have to go through and we have to be able to learn these skills. I feel like they're just universal skills and they seem very, you know, they're all tailored to the experiences that you and I have had. But if you just read stoicism and you just want to learn from that, or if you have your other philosophy or, or framework, I think there's so many things that, that can be helpful in getting us out of our own way. And Chad, I really appreciate you sharing your thoughts on this. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for, for chatting with me. Thanks so much for stopping by this episode of the Career Therapy Podcast. It's been a pleasure having you. And if you're curious about what we do here at Career Therapy, head on over to www.careertherapy.com to see all of our coaching options, resources, and links to other things we got going on. If you would like to share your story on this podcast, something that you've gone through, a transition you've experienced in your career, whether it's getting a job after college or going through a layoff or getting back into the workforce after raising your family, we would love to hear from you. Head over to linkedin.com slash in slash Martin McGovern and shoot me a DM. Let me know what's going on. And I really like to share your story with the world. What we're trying to do here is really normalize the emotional side of the job search because we all go through it. We all have tough times in our careers and sharing these stories really helps people feel less alone and feel more empowered to take their career back into their own hands and make something of it. So thank you again for stopping by. If you'd like to leave a like or a comment, subscribe or share, or leave us a review on iTunes, and I think maybe even Spotify, we'd really appreciate it. Best of luck to you in all of your career endeavors, and I'll see you on the next episode. Cheers. Cheers.